Welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast, brought to you by TournamentPokerEdge.com, the only podcast dedicated exclusively to poker tournament strategy. Now here's your host, Clayton Fletcher. Hello once again, everybody, and welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast. I'm your host, Clayton Fletcher in New York City, and I want to first apologize for the absence of an episode last week. I was very busy with comedy things, I'm writing some things, I've been performing a lot, and time kind of crept up on me. For the future, I might want to try to stockpile some episodes where, might be evergreen episodes where I just do some maybe hand history of reviews or things like that. The reason I don't normally do that, just so you guys know, kind of behind the scenes what my process is, I like to record the podcast on the day before it's released, or at least two days before it's released. The reason why is there's always news evolving, and I would like this to not only be a place for you guys to find what I think is pretty strong strategy content, but also just kind of what's new in poker and if i just have a bunch of episodes where i just review strategy then you won't really know what's going on in the game and things might not feel quite as fresh like for example today i am recording this on the afternoon of june 17th for release on june 18th so i doubt too much will happen between the time that i record this podcast and it's being released tomorrow But if we just record a whole bunch of episodes today, then when they are released, they won't be able to have any current events, kind of up-to-date information. So that is why we do it that way. But that said, I hate to leave you guys without an episode. I know that many of you really look forward to Fridays when the episodes drop, as the kids say. So uh, perhaps I should do that for emergencies like what came up last Thursday, right when I was planning to record a a number of gigs came in for me at the last minute two writing gigs and one performing gig that really caused me to miss a week now for those who might be thinking well why didn't you just record it the next day or something Clayton why do we have to wait a whole week in between episodes and now this has to do with the algorithm of podcast websites such as Spotify and Apple podcasts uh, Stitcher and others They give a lot more attention to podcasts that come out on a weekly schedule or a daily schedule on the same day and preferably at the same time each and every day or each and every week. So if you kind of release a podcast one week on a Thursday, the next week on a Saturday, another week on a Friday, you tend to get lost in the shuffle in terms of the algorithm. So if we are unable to release Our episode on Fridays, we just have to wait until the following Friday so as to not look like some sort of wild and loose, haphazard podcast on the various podcast platforms. So I'm sure that's a lot more information than many of you wanted, but I wanted to share it with you anyway. Uh, Another thing I want to share with you, I imagine most of you will know this already, but for those who don't, The World Series of Poker live schedule for this coming fall has been released and it is 
pretty awesome. I'm very, very excited to play. Uh, I am unhappy about the absence of the Mystery Bounty when they first announced the schedule for 2020. That is the one that never happened. Uh, there was a tournament where you would collect bounties for each player you busted and then cash those bounties in at the end of the tournament without actually knowing how much they were worth until that time. So I was excited to play that because, as you guys know, I love bounties in general. I love progressive knockout bounties. I think that doing a live progressive knockout bounty with several thousand players would be uh, an absolute nightmare. And I was excited for the mystery bounty so that you might have a little bit of variety in terms of the bounties. And just knowing that one of those bounties was going to be worth a quarter million dollars was pretty exciting and I think would have inspired a lot of players to get involved and pony up the buy-in for that event. Uh, Unfortunately, they decided that logistically it was going to be very hard to do. And uh, I don't know if you guys can hear, I live right on the river in Manhattan, so there are boats making noise outside my, my apartment in case you can't hear that. But yeah, what it came down to is they just did not want to be put into a position where they were unable to live up to the promise of that tournament going off without a hitch. So it appears that there would have been a hitch or two, maybe something they will figure out an easier way to do in the future, not have any potential cheating or colluding or people sharing bounties or that information being made public, or I don't know. I don't know what the glitches would have been, but they decided not to do that after all. There is a pretty cool bounty event on the schedule which is going to be uh, something about the Poker Hall of Fame, uh, a special Poker Hall of Fame bounty tournament that looks like fun. So this one's going to be at the end of November. It's actually on November 17th. And the buy-in is 1979, which was the year that the Poker Hall of Fame started. And all of the Poker Hall of Fame members that are currently alive (laughs) and will hopefully be alive in November, will be uh, bounties in the tournament. So they get to free roll in and have a shot at the prizes. But if you bust one of these Hall of Fame members, then you automatically get a prize that is the dollar amount of the year that player was inducted into the Hall of Fame. So that's pretty exciting. And I think that will be a lot of fun to play. So it's not the uh, exciting mystery bounty that I've been talking about for a year and a half But it is uh, a little something, and there are a lot more bounties on the schedule. Now, I want to do an episode soon with our good friend Derek Tenbush, Killingbird, where we go through the schedule like we have in past years. But I did want to highlight uh, a few of the events on the schedule, and that is certainly one of them. Another one that I'm really, really excited for is called The Reunion. I guess it's kind of uh, a little bit of a, oh, we're all getting back together again, so it's just going to be a big reunion. It's $500 to play, and the guaranteed prize pool of $5 million indicates a minimum of 10,000 players. So, obviously, the powers that be at the World Series of Poker are expecting a very large turnout for that first tournament, and I think it's going to be a ton of fun. So, I'm definitely planning to play in that event, so that will inspire me, as well as many others, to arrive in Vegas in time for the start of the World Series of Poker. Let's do one more. The gambler in me is excited 
for this event on October the 10th called the Flip and Go Tournament. So it's a $1,000 buy-in, and the first thing that happens is one player from each table wins a coin flip. It's not really a coin flip, but we call it flips when you just deal out a bunch of cards and with no skill at all, somebody wins. Uh, so that's, they call it a flip because flip indicates that it's fair. So it's just no skill involved, just pure luck. So if you happen to get lucky and win your table, you will automatically be in the money of this tournament. And then the rest of the tournament plays like a normal no limit hold'em freeze out. I think that's going to be pretty juicy. Only 10% of the field or so will remain at after the flips are over. And a lot of those players will have no clue how to play. So that should make for a fun <laughs> in the money experience at that tournament. Uh, you know, you just have to win your flip at your first table and then you automatically are in the money. So very exciting, similar to a shootout type of event, only in the sense that the winner of the first table knows that he or she is in the money for the rest of the tournament. Uh, but of course, in a regular shootout, a lot of skill goes into trying to win that first table. And in this flip and go, uh, there is no skill involved in getting into the money. But uh, skill will obviously play a huge role after that occurrence. So those are a couple of the things I wanted to highlight that I'm excited to play. And I'm you know, just excited to get back to Vegas. I will actually be in Vegas next month in July playing some summer tournaments there. So the other casinos that are not the World Series of Poker Casino, the Rio, they have decided to do regular tournament series this summer like they might have during the, the World Series. So this time it's going to be all the other places, but not the Rio. So that's kind of cool. I mean, I think it's exciting. And I'm really excited for those other properties to see what they do in the fall because they know that all the poker players will be back in the fall this year. And so maybe they can all do another big series in the fall like they normally do corresponding with the World Series of Poker. So that remains to be seen, but I would put money on big tournaments happening at the Wynn, at the Aria, at the Venetian this coming October. All right, so today we're going to finish our discussion of my Venom PKO, it's a $2,650 buy-in. Half of the buy-in goes to the bounty prize pool and the other half goes to the main prize pool. Put it all together and first place is over $1 million. It's a three, it may have even been a four-day event. Um, but these are some hands from day two uh, that will conclude our discussion of this tournament. Before I get into it, I want to thank those of you who have been reaching out on Twitter at Clayton Comic, letting me know how you feel about some of the hands that I played, giving me some feedback on some decisions I made. A recurring theme, by the way, is that many of you don't normally change your strategy very much when you're in a PKO. And to me, that's kind of like leaving half the prize pool on the table. Uh, the reason I like these kind of tournaments is because it's actually correct to gamble more you know, many times you'd be in a freeze out type of event, like a normal tournament, and you might say, and perhaps correctly so, oh, it's too early. I don't want to take a coin flip right now. I don't feel like gambling at this time. In a PKO, especially if your opponent has a sizable bounty, it is often correct to take gambles that normally would be considered suicidal in other tournaments. So 
because a lot of players don't know this and because they approach these tournaments in the same way they would a regular freeze-out tournament or any standard type of no-limit hold'em tournament, uh, players like me have an edge because I've actually studied this format a little bit and I naturally do tend to take more chances than the average player. Although, as you guys know, like typically in normal tournaments, I'm, I'm trying to cut back on some of the uh, kamikaze warfare and I've been doing pretty well with that. But as it turns out, the PKO actually rewards those who are happy to take a few extra risks. Now, that doesn't mean you want to punt off a, a big stack. You want to try to take risks, especially go bounty hunting, as we call it, when you have enough chips that even if you happen to lose this all in, you'll still have most of the players, if not all the players at your table, covered. So the first step in this type of tournament is to cover everybody. And then the next step is to kind of evaluate the risk to reward ratio of going for player X's bounty knowing that if you happen to lose what kind of position you will be in. Sometimes it, it won't hurt you much at all. You know, especially in this tournament, I spent much of this tournament as a prohibitive chip leader. So in that position, you can definitely afford to risk like 8%, 10%, even 15% of your stack if you're still going to be chip leader if you lose, but winning is worth like a whole buy-in or more. It's definitely wise to at least consider taking gambles in spots where you otherwise might not. So don't go too far with that, but just kind of think about it, especially in the earlier stages of the tournament. As the prizes themselves start getting bigger and bigger, it actually becomes less important to go for bounties and more important to just try to win the damn thing. So yeah, and winning the damn thing is worth a whole lot because if you've done well at the final, by the time you reach the final table and your bounty is worth a ton of dough, then you might get to keep all the bounties you've collected. And because no one's left to collect your bounty, you get to keep that too. So that can really add up. And that's why the prize nowadays for a PKO is the same for first as it is for second, because the difference is the actual first place winner gets to keep his own bounty. So anyway, that's kind of the backdrop, but I do appreciate all the interaction Please do follow me on Twitter at Clayton Comic and let me know what you think about the hands we've been discussing for the last few weeks, as well as these uh, hands I'm going to present today from day two of the Venom PKO. So here we are. We're in the money now. Uh, something like, I guess, 180 players left-ish. Uh, the blinds are 35K and 70K with a 10,500 ante which creates a starting pot of 189,000. We are second in chips overall in the tournament with 7.8 million. And uh, the action folds to us, the hero in the hijack, holding the ace of spades, 10 of clubs. Now this is the same tough table we were at in the last episode. People have been getting after it. It's a tough, loose, aggressive table with a couple of real crushers. A lot of the stacks of the table are in the five to six million range. Uh, the big blind in particular has 2.8 million and he has a very large bounty of 3,500, which at the time was one of the biggest bounties in the event. So obviously he had been doing very well before, but now his stack is pretty well below average, which at this point was around 
four million. So yeah, he's got two point eight million. A couple of other players on our left have five or six million ish. Uh, we're not worried about anyone jamming after we open. That would be a really big bet. There are no very short stacks at this table at all. We open to two ten, which is three times the big blind. There are a few reasons for this. Number one, we don't really want to encourage action. As mentioned, a lot of our opponents are pretty tough, and it's fine to just take this down. Also, we're deep stacked here. You know, we're not looking to just flop a pair and then check raise all in for value. So when you are a little deeper, you can vary your opening bets. Also, remember, we have the largest bounty in the tournament. Our bounty is uh, $3,900 at this point. And so it's uh, a lot harder for us to get folds or steel blinds because people want to try to chop our stack down a little bit so they can start eating into that juicy bounty that we have on our head. So uh, those are kind of the dynamics that inspired me and persuaded me to go ahead and open 3x here. Uh, let's see, the Button, who's a good player with 6.7 million calls, and we're not happy about that. And he's got about a $2,700 bounty. And the Big Blind, we already mentioned, tough player with a big $3,500 bounty also calls. So three to the flop, and we'll be second to act. The pot is 750000 and the effective SPR is the stack of the big blind, a 3.3 to 1 ratio. So not ideal, and actually that argues for perhaps a slightly bigger open, but in fairness, I didn't know the button was going to call, and I thought we'd be setting up an SPR of between 4 and 5, which would have been totally fine. It's very awkward to play well against a SPR of between 3 and 4. So, for example, if we make a top pair with ace 10, we're never going to be too happy getting all in with just that one pair against this opponent. But that doesn't mean we should always fold either because we will get outplayed a lot if we approach it that way. So it's just a very awkward stack to be up against. So that's why I wasn't too happy about this result. Uh, but nonetheless, the three of us see the flop and it comes nine of hearts, eight of spades and four of hearts. Again, hero holding the ace of spades, 10 of clubs. Uh, the big blind checks and now we check as well. And then the button, who's that good talented player that I described before, who has a pretty big stack himself, Bets 340 into 750, and the big blind calls. Now, I decide to overcall here, which might be a little ambitious, especially because I don't have a heart on 984 with two hearts. But let me explain my rationale. Really, it's about that big blind and his gigantic bounty. Uh, it makes calling in spots that would otherwise be marginal, less marginal or even correct. So I'm not really sure what the best player in the world would do with ace-10 in my shoes. Perhaps check-raising is actually better than calling because it would look so strong if I check-raise here with the bet and call in front of me. And obviously, folding is standard and perfectly okay. The reason I decided not to go for the check-raise, though, is because it's a pretty wet board. You've got a 9-8-4 with two hearts, so anyone holding... 7-6 or any two hearts or jack-10, 
Uh, and now I blocked Jack 10, but that's actually a reason why we don't want to check raise here because it makes it less likely that our opponents have Jack 10. So that means that the bet and the call are that much more likely to be for value and they may put me on having a lot of draws in my range. And just generally speaking, people don't like to fold in PKOs, especially when all the players in the pot have large bounties. So that's why I decided to just call and see if I can hit something. I will sometimes be able to win with an ace or a 10. I will sometimes backdoor into a straight. And for this price, it felt like a good call. So we do overcall and we have to be careful, but we also have some big chunky bounties to try to get our hands on. And I just wasn't ready to fold yet for the price. So I know that will be a controversial decision and many of you will flame me on Twitter <laughs> for making it because I really don't have anything and I can often make a pair with a heart, which will make my life even harder, especially against tough opponents. And I get all that, but on balance, I decided to just trust my poker skills and play with fire. So the three of us are going to see a turn with 1.8 million in the pot and the big blind is now down to 2.3 million. The turn comes the six of spades. So we now have a board of nine, eight, four, six with two hearts and hero holding the ace 10 offsuit with no heart and no spade either. However, we do have a gut shot and two over cards and the big blind checks. Now we could take a stab here, but you know, honestly trying to bluff two opponents now that the board is getting even wetter and just so many draws are available. I don't believe that bluffing is better than checking. Despite the fact that we blocked the nuts, I just decided to check and to my delight, the button checked as well. The river comes the 10 of hearts for a final board of 9-8-4-6-10, hero holding ace-10 for top pair. The big blind all of a sudden leads 1.3 million into the 1.8 million pot, leaving himself only 970,000 more behind. And we fold. I just don't think that calling with top pair against this really strong out of left field lead with a player yet to act behind us who could easily have a straight or a flush now is profitable. I thought that making top pair at this point in the hand was not worth calling a bet from the big blind. Now, if the two of us had checked and the button bet and the big blind folded, I might look him up once in a while with a pair of tens because it's just such a perfect scare card to bluff. And I can even beat some value. Hands like Jack-10 and Queen-10 could easily be in this player's range. Not so much the big blinds range, but the button could have those hands. Uh, and certainly if I had made a top pair of aces, it becomes a little bit more attractive to call. But yeah, this big blind lead just shows so much strength. We decided to throw our top pair top kicker away. And then behind us, the button shoved. And even though the big blind only had less than a million more, he folded. So very interesting, wild finish to that hand. And I'll never know what either of my opponents had. My best guess is that we were actually beating the big blind who probably had something like Jack 10 all the way up to two pair 
maybe like a 10.9 or something. And the button was very likely to have a flush. All right, same table, same tough table, just a little while later. Uh, blinds are 35K and 70K, same as in the previous hand. We have about 7.6 million. Our M is greater than 40. We have 100 big blinds. We're in ninth place overall at this point in the tournament with about 180 players left. Uh, but there is one player at our table who has us covered. Uh, two folds to us, and we open from the hijack. Uh, the table is now seven-handed, obviously. So we open from the hijack. This time we just go for the min-raise to 140K, just really mixing up the play and not doing the same thing every time. Uh, we have ace-9 of spades, so ace of spades, nine of spades, ace-9 suited, and you could fold this. Uh, it's not a great hand, especially at a tough table. But being one of the chip leaders, I like to get in there because, again, we are trying to collect bounties. Even though we're in the money and the prizes now are something like 1300 ish for cashing, uh, which is great. But some of these players have much bigger bounties than that. And we need to try to get our hands on some of those. But if you decide to fold, especially at a tough table with a marginal hand like this from this middle position at a seven-handed table. I don't have a problem with it, but we do open for the minimum. The big blind is the only caller. Now, he's a very, very tough, loose, aggressive opponent. He also does elite coaching for one of the most expensive poker coaching websites in the world, which is not tournamentpokeredge.com, which is a terrific website where you can get coaching from the likes of Colin Moshman, Alex Fitzgerald, Andrew Brokus, and so many more for as little as $25 a month. So if you're not a member, guys, what are you waiting for? Sign up for TournamentPokerEdge.com. So this guy works for a much, much higher priced, high stakes coaching website. And he is what they call an elite coach. So it's not only one of the most expensive websites, he's one of the most expensive coaches on that website. So this guy knows what he's doing. I don't want to reveal his name. Uh, so yeah, that's who uh, our opponent in this hand. He calls from the big blind. So the only good news I have for you is that we'll be in position. And this guy has a bounty of about $2,300. And he's got 3.2 million tournament chips behind. The pot is now 390K. So the effective SPR is eight. And the flop comes king of hearts, queen of diamonds, eight of hearts. Hero holding the ace nine of spades. So a total and utter whiff. Uh, this tough opponent checks and we decide to check as well. I do not think I can get value from worse if we bet. Perhaps if he has... A hand like Jack-10 or Jack-9, those are about the only hands that we might be able to get a call from that we're actually beating right now. Uh, or, of course, he could have a flush draw with any two hearts. But, yeah, I don't expect him to be folding many pairs, and I don't really want to try to get into a three-barrel bluff situation against this tough opponent. So we decide to check behind as well. Now, to balance this, we also need to check behind sometimes when we have something like Ace-King, Ace Queen, so we had like a strong pair with a strong kicker. I need to check behind sometimes with draws like Jack 10 and two hearts myself just to balance this play out. When you're playing against a really tough, 
talented opponent who does elite coaching for an elite website, you must mix up your play. Very, very important to do that. Now, you don't want to go so far with that that you end up just being super exploitable and never making good value bets and never taking bluff spots that you should. But what I mean is if he can be assured that we always bet when we have a pair and we always check when we whiff, then it's just way too easy for a good player like this to crush us over the long haul. So we need to make sure we do want to check back a lot when we have ace, nine of spades here. But to balance that, we need to sometimes check back with even like three kings or a flush draw. Okay, so we check behind and the turn comes the six of spades. So our board is now king, queen, eight, six with two hearts. And he checks again. Now we have a little bit more of a case for betting. If we bet, we'll probably need to bet again on the river because he might even look us up with a hand as bad as 6-5 or 8-7, just a hand that made a pair on the turn. Because as this player surely knows, if you check twice, you kind of invite a lot more bluffs than if you check once. So he necessarily needs to turn hands that he would have folded on the flop into bluff catchers on the turn. So for that reason... I decide to check behind because I don't want to try to double barrel this player. There are better spots at my table from which to extract value than this opponent. So we decide to just check it back and we're planning to check this down, but we don't get the opportunity. The river comes the tray of hearts completing the flush on a final board of king, queen, eight, six tray. And our opponent decides to fire 330 into 390. Before I tell you what I did, I want to talk about what this bet means. This is a polarized bet. It's almost a pot-sized bet on the river designed to get us to fold a hand like the one we have, or even a little bit better, when he's bluffing, and designed to get us to call when he somehow made like three of a kind on the river or something like that. So he is polarizing himself and most of his value should be hands on the high end, like a flush or like I said, a set or even two pair could probably make this bet on the river. But you have to ask yourself, would two pair check the turn after I check behind on the flop and not want to protect against my possible straight draws and flush draws. It's a pretty wet board all the way around. Also, does he really want to check the turn when he has a flush draw? Why not semi-bluff and just try to take it down right there? I'm sure he would semi-bluff the turn at least some of the time. So what I decide to do, even though I don't block anything at all, I decide to just go for the pure bluff raise here. I just don't believe that this opponent has a flush that checked the turn a lot. I think that he had shown himself already to be extremely aggressive, and I just felt that there was a great chance this particular opponent would have bet a flush on the turn a lot, especially against me. He doesn't recognize my name. It's not like I play these high-stakes Venom events every time they happen, and I'm not in his inner circle, so he probably doesn't put me on being capable of bluff raising him here. So I think that he's probably surprised that I'm raising and he must be utterly confused by it. 
I made it eight hundred fifty-four thousand. So the original bet was three thirty. So I raised two under three x, which to me is a small raise for the situation and really begs for a call, or at least that's what it's designed to look like. I think he's in a tough spot when he doesn't have at least a flush here. I think that three of a kind should often fold. So because I don't think he has a flush very much, and because he's obviously a good enough player to make a big laydown in a big spot, and also because this is now a pretty substantial portion of his stack, which is below average already. He started with $3.2 million. It just felt like a good time for a value bluff. <laughs> so it really looks like I'm trying to eke a little value out of him because it's kind of irresistible for him to call for only 500 more, but he does fold. And I felt very sexy in that moment. It was actually my favorite hand of the whole tournament. You know, so many times we just don't want to bluff unless we have blockers, unless we have this, unless we can put our opponent on that. And this was just a spot where I didn't feel my opponent had a flush very often, and I knew that if he didn't have a flush, it would be a tough call for him. I think it's an easier call for him, actually, if I shove and he's got like a two-pair type of hand because at that point there are so many draws that I might have missed that he might just have to look me up, if nothing else, out of curiosity. But this just felt, I think, to him as though I were milking him and he just said, I'm not going to let this amateur Clayton guy <laughs> milk me. So he threw his hand away. Don't try this at home and certainly don't try it against an opponent that won't be able to see what you're representing. And don't do it if you think you have an image of being uh, super tricky yourself. So at this table, I didn't feel like any of those things were in play. And it just felt like a good spot for the super sexy bluff raise on the river okay one more hand quickly guys you're gonna like this one too uh jumping way ahead in the tournament there's about 90 players left and the average stack is around 6 million we are in 25th or so with our 7.7 .7 million but now the blinds are all the way up to 60k and 120k with 18k ante so there's 324 now in the middle so we've got about 65 Big blinds, and M of 23. We're in great shape, looking good. Uh, still with a good shot at reaching that final table and even having a chance at a million-dollar first-place prize. So we've been playing at this table. This is a different table than the one we were discussing before. We've been at this table for a bit now, and the only thing we hate about it is the chip leader of the whole tournament is on our immediate left. And he is wild and crazy. He seems to be trying to win just about every single hand. So it really didn't take too long for us to figure that out and decide that the right strategy against a, an opponent like this is clearly to tighten up. You can't keep mixing it up when the player with all the chips is on your immediate left and he's playing wild and loose. This guy's got about 16 million, which is good for first place in the tournament. He's also got the biggest bounty now, uh, which we had for so long, but now his bounty is up to like 8,000 or something. So yeah, that was uh, that was not the seat I wanted him to be in, but it's still nice to have him at my table because he gives that a lot of action. But the strategy against an opponent like this, especially when you're out of position, 
is to wait till you have something decent and then keep trying to give him opportunities to bluff you off of it that you will then call, okay? So that's what we're looking to do. So we need a good starting hand or we're just not going to play. Because of that, our image at this table is, as you might expect, very tight. Action folds to hero on the button. So Clayton has the nine of clubs and nine of diamonds. Here I decide to go for a 2.5x open, uh, you know, discouraging this player that's going to be in the small blind from getting involved. Uh, the big blind is a reasonable reg type of player with pretty reggy, tightish numbers. Um, he also has us covered, but just barely, just by like 100,000. Uh, our bounty now sits around 6,000, and only the small blind chip leader calls. So the pot is 864,000, and the flop comes 10 tray tray with two hearts, hero holding the nine of clubs, nine of diamonds. Uh, so we continuation bet. He checks, and we continuation bet 432 into 864, a little bigger than we might against a different opponent. Uh, that's for value. He doesn't give up too easily on many hands. Uh, we want him to come after us, uh, at least with a call. We don't really mind getting check raised. This is the ideal type of hand to have against an opponent like this. Now, look, if he's got a 10 or a tray, we're just going to lose probably our whole stack Maybe not our whole stack, but we're going to lose a good chunk of it because we just don't really have a lot of give-ups against an opponent who's shown himself to be extremely wild, like maniacally loose and aggressive. You just can't fold two nines on 10 tray tray against a player like that. So we fired 432, half the pot, and as expected, he check raises to 1 million. So a small check raise for sure. A little bit scary that he would check raise so small because he has to know he's getting called a lot. Now, if I haven't made it clear, I don't think this opponent is an expert player. I would actually be surprised if he's a winning player. He just happens to have a huge stack and a ton of bounties with 90 players left in the biggest tournament of the year on the website. <laughs> now, you'll see this sometimes. People that aren't very skilled will end up catching a lot of lucky breaks and they'll run really deep in these tournaments. Some would say, I'm in that group. <laughs> and that's okay if that's how you feel. I still love you. But we're not folding to the check raise. We call. And now with 2.8 million in the pot, the turn comes the deuce of clubs. So the board is now 10 tray, tray, deuce with two hearts and two clubs. Our opponent fires 1.1 million into the 2.8 million pot. We have about 6.3 behind and decide to just call again. I don't see much value in raising. I think that we can't really get called by worse. Uh, even if he's got something like pocket eights, right? It's hard to get action. The only hands that are worse that can actually call a raise are flush draws. And some of the time he's going to shove with those hands. So do we really want to be in that spot just holding the two nines and probably have to call a shove. So just call again. You want to keep all of his pure bluffs in. This player loves to bluff. He's a maniacal, loose, aggressive player. So 
if we spring a trap on him now and raise, then he's going to throw away all of his bluffs. And that's exactly what we do not want when we have a hand as strong as pocket nines in this situation. The river comes the, the tray of spades. So we have a final board of 10, tray, tray, deuce, tray. One of the best boards pocket nines could ever be looking at. And no flush got there. So he checks this time, and we have to decide whether we have a value bet. Some of you might be saying, why would you want a value bet, Clayton? He's going to check raise bluff you with all the missed draws, and he's also going to check, well, maybe not all the time, but at least part of the time, we're going to get check raised and have a tough decision. But if I do bet here for value, I need to resign myself to going bust. If he check raises, I need to call. That might sound crazy to you because clearly the guy's going to have quads or pocket aces or at least a 10, right? No, not this opponent. Believe me, I've been watching this guy for a bit now and it is clear that he is what we call chip drunk with power. He's got so many chips and he's just going to use every play in the book to try to get more, really not evaluating the risk to reward cost benefit analysis or anything like that. He's just blasting off and so that's why I did not bet the river because I didn't want to have to call the check raise that I thought might come knowing that I would also not be able to fold to said check raise so we just check behind and win against pocket sixes so that was a great hand and uh, really put us in a good position to uh, possibly even win the tournament after that we had like I think the eighth biggest stack uh in the event and we were looking pretty pretty good um oh that same player by the way a hand later on in this event he just kept firing and firing and we had bottom pair and just decided it was good enough to call because he was that wild uh in that particular hand he won a lot of chips from us with second pair (laughs) so (laughs) sometimes you just have to strap in and decide that any pair is good enough but anyway um real quickly my bust out hand i thought was pretty interesting but we're not going to actually review it fully we had pocket nines and very similar actually now that i think about it against a different opponent but we had pocket nines against a wild and loose aggressive get after it type playing like 50% of the pots, never folding to three bets, like, you know, and just really having a very, very high post-flop aggression factor. Uh, The board was 10 trade deuce. And again, we had pocket nines. uh, And then it came running hearts. So 10 trade deuce, seven of hearts, deuce of hearts. And we held on. In this spot, our M was around 12. We had 30 big blinds. And our stack was pretty well below average, maybe about half average by that point. And we just didn't feel like folding nines. Uh, It turns out he had backdoored his way into a flush. He bet each and every street with the King Jack of Hearts. So he bet with King Jack of Hearts on 10 Trey Deuce and then picked up a flush draw and bet it on the turn. And then when the Deuce paired on the end, bet enough to put us all in and we called and lost to a flush, and then that's how we lost this tournament. So, I suppose if you live by the bluff catcher, you die by the bluff catcher, and this time I was catching bluffs 
against a player who had a flush. So that didn't work out too well. And I'm sure he was thrilled to receive my extra large size bounty. And uh, he actually went on to make the final table of this tournament and finished in eighth place. So uh, that's the full recap. We ended up getting 68th place and we won almost $20,000 with all the bounties and, and the prize for 68th place and everything else. I had a great time. I would definitely play future high stakes PKO tournaments. Actually final tabled a $600 PKO, what they call a high roller. Uh, I had like 170 players. I got fifth place just this past week. So I clearly love the format. I might just run good in these things, but I do feel like the uh, the strategy that is required to do well in a PKO event is very similar to the strategy that comes very naturally to me. So I intend to continue playing as many progressive knockouts as I can until everybody else figures out how to play them as well. That'll do it for this episode. Thank you guys so much for being a part of the crew. And again, follow me on Twitter at Clayton Comic. Sign up for the best poker website in the world, tournamentpokeredge.com, and have access to literally thousands of hours of video content from some of the best minds in the game. So for everyone here at TPE, I'm Clayton Fletcher. Thank you so much for listening. Nobody